everyone! Before we start, I wanted to let you know, if you would like to watch our whole service, head to our website, that's dc2.me, and from the media drop-down, click Sermons. You can watch our whole service there. And now, here's this week's sermon. My name is Rob. Um, my wife and I, Caroline, are part of, of Discovery family here, and um, it's a real honor that I have an opportunity to teach on occasion, and we're in this series continuing on called Prologue, Back to the Beginning. Um, Zach's been killing it the last um, three or four weeks, and really we're getting a, a good idea of, man, what was God up to from the very beginning? Who is he? And, and, and even beyond that, who are we? How has he created us, and how are we different from other things that he's created, and, and what's this unique relationship that we have with God? And so we continue on with that today. And if you've missed any of the teachings, man, I couldn't encourage you more to, to jump in and catch up and listen or listen to those again. I think it'll really help you as we look at everything in, in totality throughout this series. But we left off last week with this. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. So, so that's really where we left things off last week. It's where we start this week. And spoiler alert, it's kind of where we're going to end today. That's where we're going to be. And, and Zach, it's interesting, Zach asking me to teach on this Sunday about rest and Sabbath is, is essentially just like him coming to me and saying, hey, Rob, in your life of a fo- as a follower of Jesus, what is the one thing that you've probably struggled with most? And could you teach on that Sunday? Because that would be what I would be teaching on today. Uh, a couple weeks back, it was um, Martin Luther King that Monday, and some have that as a holiday. And I had meetings planned. I had some projects that I was going to finish up. And, and my wife looks at me that day, and she's like, dude, what are you doing? I was like, wow, I'm getting this stuff done. She says, this is an off day. You have this day off. I said, I have this day off? And she said, yes, you have this day I had no clue that I actually had that day off. Because when it comes to work, I love to work. I love to work hard. I love to have plans. I love to execute those. And and for too much of my life, work has been kind of a central part of of what I revolve all the rest of my life around. And for too much of my life, a lot of my identity and who I am has been linked much too closely to the work that I'm doing, to the job that that I have. And maybe some of you are here and you can identify with that to some degree. Maybe many of you can do that. And, and maybe you hold work a little bit too close or, or maybe your job has a little bit uh, too much of a harmful hold on you or, or maybe it's, it's both. Well, today I have good news. And the good news is this, that, that there's another way to live that is available to us, that's obtainable to us. And, and the beauty is that it's literally only one choice, although hard, one simple choice away. And we want to talk about that today. And I'm growing in this area. I, I've learned something. I know that this is true because I, I'm better using this, this gift that God's given us called rest. It's become a much more regular part of my life, of the rhythm of, of how, that I, how I live. Certainly clunky at times, but it's been refreshing and, and life-giving. And, and I really want the same for you. And, and one of my fears today is that anytime we talk about something like this, that rather than being encouraged, you're maybe discouraged or you feel guilty. It's like, oh, I'm a workaholic and, and this and this. And all of a sudden you just feel guilty. That's not the intent of today. 
I want you to be encouraged to live a different way. And I think, I think one of the things that helped me when I, when I made a switch in how I lived and embracing rest is like, I used to think, man, I love to work. What's wrong with me? You know what? That means there's something right with me. Because God was a worker. I was created in his image. And so the fact that I love to work, that says there's something, something right with me. But then at the same time, if I was really honest with myself, there was these deep longings and cravings for something beyond escape, something that, that would really refuel and, and revive my soul, something that we call rest. And I used to think, man, that must mean that there's something wrong with me that I'm craving rest so bad. I must be weaker than I think I am. But you know what? That didn't mean that there was something wrong with me. It means there was something right with me because I'm created in God's image and God rested. And so maybe you're here today and, and you're like, man, I love, love, love to work. I love to work. You know what? There's something right with you. And maybe you're here, and if you're honest, and, and down deep in your heart and your soul, it's just like, I just need something to refuel and recalibrate and, and renew my deepest part of me. If that's you, you know what that says? That means there's something right with you, not something wrong with you. See, learning the healthy rhythm of, of work and rest, it, it's really critical to being and becoming who God created you to be, be and become. It's for your sake, but not only for your sake, it's, it's for the sake of those that you most influence, for those that you lock arms with, for those that you kind of walk through life with. And I want to give you a quick handle, and we're going to come back to this a few times, but here's, here's what I believe, right? And it's that life doesn't live, and work doesn't work when your rest doesn't rest. Got that? See, life doesn't live and work doesn't work when our rest doesn't rest, and so I want us to think about that, and is, is that true, and, and what does that mean by that, and how do, we, how do we interact with that reality, and what does it mean for the way that I live? But before we get too far down the road, I want to ask this question of you. How do you relate to God? I mean, just with that, how do you relate to God? And this is a big question, right? But, but I mean, do you see him as someone who's kind of this, this entity, this power in the sky somewhere, and, and you better obey him? Life will be better that way. Does he seem close to you? Does he, does he seem really distant if you're honest? Is he the one that you over and over again lean into during hard times, but honestly maybe lean away from the rest of the time? Man, when I was a kid, think about what was your, how, what was your relationship with God when you were a kid, or what did you think about God when, when you were a kid? When I was a kid, sports were everything, and I really believe this. I believe that if I was a good kid, that not only would the teams that I play on win, but also the teams that I cheered for would win. Now, based on the record of my favorite teams, man, did I have a sin issue when I was a little kid. Things did not go well. And, and I look back, and that seems so silly now to think that way. But I think what I've discovered of many years of being a pastor, of being involved in church, is that I think a lot of people, especially I would say those who grow up in church, maybe relate to God in a way that is primarily discouraging instead of fulfilling. Man, what's going on there if that happens to be true? I appreciate the work of, of a guy named um, Sky Jathani. He wrote, he's written a few books. A book he wrote 10 years ago or so is this book called With. And in that, he says, there's basically four ways that people primarily relate with God. And his first one is he says, um, people relate life from God. 
So in other words, it's wanting God's blessing. It's, it's, it's not really, I don't really want God, but I, want, I believe that God can give me good things, and so I want the things that he can give me, and our focus really is on getting stuff, on, on consuming in some way. For others, it's what he describes as life over God, where, well, whatever, whoever God is and whatever his way is, that's not going to work, so I'm going to figure out a different approach to getting what I want, to managing my life, and so some people live over God. Others live for God, and that's accomplishing great things for God. You've got this tasks to accomplish. You've got to serve, 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 serve. And I know for the church that I grew up in, which I'm very grateful for, I learned this, that you live for God. And then there's some that live under God. And that's sort of this cause and effect idea, like, well, if I obey, God blesses, but if I don't obey, then things are going to go terrible for me. And what happens when you, live, when you relate to God this way, essentially all you're trying to do is avoid sin or manage sin in your life. Now here's the reality. In all of these, there are elements of truth, but in each, God is seen as a means to get what we want, to get the treasure, if you will, that we want, rather than seeing him as the treasure himself. And these approaches miss the reality that we're not created to live over God, under God, for God, any of that stuff. We are created to live with God. We're created to live with him. And there's this rich mystery of of mingling our spirit with the, the spirit of God, where our trust in him grows to the point where our hope is actually found in him instead of our circumstances, See, God created rest and he gave it to us so that we were to remember that very thing, that we're created to live with him. Again, life doesn't live and work doesn't work when our rest doesn't rest. Think of the products and the promises that are out there at this time. You, think, you, you study any civilization or any period of time, you can look at the promises that were made through marketing during those periods of time. You can think of the products that they have. And it says a lot about the society at that time. And there's a ton of examples out there of current time, but I'll give you one. Is, is it, the kids at bedtime, I mean, if you have kids, you're trying to put, is that still just a whooping? I mean, not you whoop the kids, but I mean, is, are you as a parent, is it like, okay, I see heads nodding yes on the screen, people watching this, they're nodding yes. I mean, that's just a brutal time. I had three daughters, I remember growing them up, you're trying to get them in bed, and there's the drink of water, there's the bathroom, the pajamas don't fit right, I need something to eat. There's all of this kind of stuff. And then there's the bedtime story. Right? And, and if you're honest, I think every parent does this, so don't leave me hanging here. But you start reading those stories, and they come, they pick out that long book, right? And you're like, oh, dude. And you're just kind of skipping pages and skipping words, right? I mean, you guys have done that, right? Don't leave me hanging, okay? Good. I want you to be guilty with me in a second, all right? So, so you do that, right? Well, look at what is available for you as a parent if you want it. Here you go. It is called One Minute Bedtime Stories. Huh? Now, some of you are like, Rob, I know the Bible is a great book, all right? But this book could literally transform my life, right? That's what you're thinking. And you know what that means? That means you're a terrible parent. That's what that means, right? But if you want to be a less terrible parent, you want to be a three times better parent, guess what you can get? Three minute bedtime stories. Now, this is off subject, but if you're an entrepreneur and have any writing skills, you might see there's a gap that needs to be filled in there. And you might just fill it. Maybe there's room for a two-minute bedtime stories, right? 
So here's the deal. I'm not, I mean, I'm kind of having fun with this. I'm not trying to make anyone feel guilty. But what does it say about humanity and our pace of life where these books are even attractive? I mean, think about that. There's living and there's work and there's rest and they're, they're all gifts from God. And in this, this series, we've seen that God was the very first worker. He was one who rests. And no other religion of that day or really of this, any day has a God like that. And all God's work is intended to show his, his greatness, his beauty, his magnificence. And it, and it culminated in the creation of mankind. But unfortunately, here's what we've done, I think. I think we have taken this gift of work and we've made it an idol. While we've taken this gift of um, rest and we've just decided to sacrifice it. I think that's kind of what we do. And the reality is that we're, we're sort of alive, but are we really living? See, I think way too often our sense of success, failure, joy, despair, strength, weakness, our hope, our despair, right? Our overall sense of, of satisfaction and, and significance, it's wrapped up in what we do. How well we do it, and maybe most of all, are other people watching and are they affirming me for it? We kind of go on living life in that manner. And yet here's God. He offers this cadence that's different than that. Something that's going to be fulfilling, but it's also going to restore our soul. It's going to renew our hope. It's going to relieve the tensions which often come from our, our daily work. It's going to reorient our lives actually around joy. And so today, you are likely, because I am, you're likely in need of this gift called rest. You're likely in a, in a maze of some sort where you're trying to, to navigate or are constantly worrying about family and, and health and how to pay the bills and, and upcoming vacation plans and keeping your house in order and marriage and singleness and fitness and friendships and laundry. And the list goes on and on. And on top of that, most of us have jobs. In our minds, here's what happens. Man, our minds can be so consumed by the past, so, so obsessed with the future that we never really actually live in the present. We're living in all kinds of places, but not in the here and the now. And what happens is we carry around regret and, and guilt. We feel inadequate every time we open social media, and then we know we really shouldn't feel that way, and so then we feel guilty for feeling that way. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. We need rest. Now listen, sleep is vital, right? I mean, you need a lot of sleep. Sleep is good for you. Naps are king. Do all that stuff. That's great. But we're not talking about sleep here. We're talking about something different, this idea of rest. And, and as I was kind of doing some research, it was interesting. Over and over and over again, I, saw, I, talked to, I, I read about studies that have been done on not sleep but rest. And the, uh, this idea, people that study neurology and stuff like that, you know, your brain is, is basically always going, right? It's always going, it's always moving, it's always thinking. So, so, I mean, how does your brain, how does your mind even rest? 
And the people that study this say, well, what actually happens is resting means that you're using a different part of your brain than what you would normally use. And that's how it rests. It's not the perfect example, but it's a little bit like why we rotate tires, right? We rotate tires so that they wear evenly. We rotate tires so that you get a little bit of a better ride, so that they last longer. It's a, it's a, it's a more stable ride, right? And really, that's what happens to our being when we rest. We have a, a more stable, a better ride for the journey ahead. But too often, we live lives where we just run ourselves down to the cords, and an accident is waiting to happen, or at least a flat, right? So rest in this prologue that we've been talking about is, is of everything else, is really part of everything else that God has revealed to us. We go back to Genesis 2, the first three verses. It says this, so the creation of heavens and earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation So he rested from all his work and God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. And he declares, he says it was holy. That means that it was set apart from all the other days. And God rested not because he was tired as Zach talked about last week. He he rested because he was finished because he had completed what he intended to do. And then he set in motion this way that we are supposed to live as those that are created in his image. And so go back to the time of of when this would have been first received. And and rest in the ancient world, it wasn't really about disengagement. It was really this idea of, well, you stay engaged, but you do it without burden. It's engagement without burden. That's what it is. And I point this out because I think often that we think of escape or disengagement as, as rest. I mean, you've got your, your nachos, you have, you know, a football game, you're going to sit down and you're going to watch that, you've got your favorite beverage, and you're doing all of that, but by the time when the game's over, you're possibly upset if your team lost, right? And um, you're kind of spent in that way, and then you're actually not feeling that great because of everything that you ingested. So that's something, but that's not rest, and I'm pro nachos, all right? And I'm pro pro football and college football and pretty much all forms of football. But we have to realize that escape is not rest. And too often we're like, I, we just crave escape when what we really need is rest. See, Sabbath is this idea of being engaged with God, but being disengaged with burdensome activity or thought. And I think the burden, you ever think about what's the burden that you actually, that we most carry? I mean, is it really everything related to our jobs? I mean, it can be, but you think of the burden you carry. Isn't, if we narrowed it all down, isn't the burden that we most carry is believing that we can fix, manage, and control something that we don't think is quite right in life? And you know what kind of burden that is? That's a huge burden. I almost cussed. That's a huge burden, right? That is a big burden, Right? And, 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 and for Israel, those who came out of slavery, initially they loved and cherished the Sabbath so much because it, were, it was a reminder that God was in control. It was a reminder of freedom. And God says, listen, one day a week, work. One day a week, don't work. One day a week, put down the burden and it will remind you that there's a God and it's not you. 
See, God puts this rhythm into creation and then he makes it one of what we refer to as the Ten Commandments. Number four, here it is. It says, remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, keeping it set apart. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them, but on the seventh day he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. And I think it's interesting here that, that this law not only applied to the Israelites, but it applied to their families. And if people were coming to stay with them, no matter what they believed or didn't believe, this applied to them as well because they're all created in God's image and they are designed to have limits and they are designed to need rest. And so it was primarily a time to remember God, but also rest acted as a protection for humanity by preventing continuous work, which was the norm of the day for most individuals. And so that's kind of from Genesis and what we have going on in the Old Testament. Well, now we fast forward to to Jesus' day, and here's what Jesus said about the Sabbath. In Mark chapter 2, verses 27 and 28, he says, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. And so Jesus makes it clear in this passage that this, this thing called Sabbath, this day of rest, it was a gift that in some ways was bringing the rhythm of heaven to earth. And ultimately, that was done through Jesus because he ultimately lived the life we could never live, paid the price that we could never pay, lived the perfect life so that work was finished, work was done as it related to us being in a right and eternal relationship with God. But see, what happened by the time Jesus came around was that the religious leaders of the day, they wanted to, they, they called it build a fence around, they wanted to protect the Sabbath. And so they literally called it building a fence around it and they instituted dozens and dozens and dozens of rules to make sure that you didn't break the Sabbath. And one of the rules was this. There's a bunch of them. I'm just going to give you one example. One of the rules was this. You were not allowed to carry around a tool or anything that could even remotely be used as a tool on the Sabbath because you may accidentally touch it. And if you accidentally touched it, you may actually use it in some form. That would thus break the Sabbath. That's what they thought. It's a bit like, if you have kids, I, mean, I use a lot of kids' illustrations, obviously, but um, like my grandkids, my two grandsons, right, eight and seven, they'll go out in my backyard, and they'll find these two big sticks, and they'll just start whacking each other with them, and they'll run over the trampoline, and they got the sticks, and they're jumping on the trampoline, and they're throwing them at squirrels, and they're smacking the fence, and smacking the tree, and using them as spears, they're doing all this kind of stuff, and I'm kind of watching them like, oh, that's awesome, but Grammy sees that, and she's like, No. That ain't happening. So she tells Papa, who is me, she says, you go out there and tell those boys to stop that because someone's going to get hurt. So I walk out there and I say, hey, fellas, here's the deal. You can still have fun, okay? But, but you can't jump on the trampoline with those sticks. You can't hit each other. You can't whack the fence. You can't chase squirrels. You can't chase dogs. You can't bat rocks around. You can't do any of that stuff with the sticks. And about one second later, those sticks are on the ground and they're off playing with something completely different, Right? Well, that's kind of what's going on 
in Jesus' day with the Sabbath. This is crazy, but here's what was happening. There were so many rules, so many guidelines, if you will, around the Sabbath that people are like, nah. It is harder to keep the Sabbath. There's more work in keeping the Sabbath than there is in actually just going and doing work. So we're just going to go do work. And the Sabbath was just kind of laid aside. And that's why Jesus comes and he says, listen, Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and people, not people, to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So we don't ignore the Sabbath, which we're probably all too prone to do, but we also don't idolize it. We don't make it kind of its own God. I, I, if this is you, I love you, and I don't want this to come across wrong, but I've had some friends who they're like, uh, I was like, hey, you want to go do this and this and this? And it's like, I can't because this is my Sabbath. And I love that, right? I think there's, a, there's such a beautiful part of that, but there's also like sometimes if you're, if you're on Sabbath day and your neighbor is shoveling rocks and you know you could actually go over and help them shovel rocks, maybe it's okay to go over and shovel rocks with them for an hour or two to help them out. So we can't make an idol out of it, right? It's for us, but we can't make an idol out of it. So we get to Hebrews, uh, a letter written to, to a church that was undergoing a lot of persecution, but the writers of Hebrews reminds us of this. It says this in Hebrews 4. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for anyone who enters God's rest and also rests from the works, just as God did from his. Again, always referring back, back to the beginning, back to the prologue of all this. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. And that example of disobedience, some of you guys have seen the movie. It has Charlton Heston in it. But it's basically referring to this general generation of Israelites. And I'm giving you the super, super short version of what happened. A bunch of Israelites who decided not to believe God. They got lost and they died. See, they didn't do what God instructed, including keep the Sabbath. And I think what, what that points out here is that, that rest is crucial. Keeping, it's, it's, it's absolutely crucial because what happens so often is we get lost in our own ways, which usually leads to our demise in some way. And the writer is honest here. He's like, you know what? If you're going to practice Sabbath, you have to be intentional about it. It's going to take some effort. And I think it's interesting and, and probably frustrating if you're a person that likes checklists and, and, and clear directions. But I think it's interesting that God doesn't tell people what to do on the Sabbath. God tells people what not to do. And isn't that frustrating in some, I mean, when, aren't we people that's like, man, tell me the three things to do and I'll start doing them. And, and I, I think what God is doing here is like, well, that's not it. That's not what rest is about. She says, I'm going to tell you what not to do. One day a week, don't work. But, but to do that, it takes determination. I think most often when it comes to rest, most often we make every effort to rest on our accomplishments. Nailed that project. Man, that project went well. Whew. Now I can rest, right? We, we rest on relationships. She loves me. What? Ah, oh, my life's going to be so good. There's just sort of this dream sequence that, that plays out, right? And so we're going to rest on that. Or, or we rest on our morality or our, our good works. It's like, man, I just finished my 73rd straight Bible study. I have not missed one in 12 years. Ah, oh, I'm amazing. 
But there's a problem with that because ultimately rest can't be found on any of those things or anything like them because you know what? They're not permanent. They can shift and they can move. That project that you did so well on that you're resting on, what if it produces really poor results? All of a sudden, the very thing that you rested on is now causing nightmares. And there might be a point where she's like, I don't love you anymore. And the dream sequence is not a dream sequence anymore, and it's really hard to rest. And for some, because of all the good things that you are doing, whether your motives are right or not, it may look like you're an awesome, good person, but someday you're going to lie, or you're going to cheat, or you're going to steal, or you're going to do worse. And no one else may know, but you'll know, and you will be exhausted trying to hide it from everyone. So we can't rest on those things. You see, life doesn't live, work doesn't work when our rest doesn't rest. The only thing that's going to still worrying activity and silence the condemning voices driving so many of us to the brink of collapse is, is rest. It's rest. I brought a prop, all right? It's the heaviest prop I've ever brought. Medicine ball, 10 pounds, all right? And I wrote some stuff on here. It doesn't really matter what's, what's on here. Um, but I, I, you think of a medicine ball, like this is actually can be really good for you. It's weighty. This one's 10 pounds. It's weighty. But if, if it's used the right way and it's used enough but not too much, it actually can shape and form some, some good things in you. This, this medicine ball can, right? And I think it's a good representation of how we are to interact with this thing that I'll just call burdens. Man, there are some things in life, right, that weigh us down that are weighty. I mean, there are, are financial issues and sometimes health issues and sometimes things change in our job and sometimes our plumbing, plumbing goes south and I mean, not personally but our house plumbing uh, and, and all of that. And, and so it's just stuff just weighs us down. It's weighty, right? But you know, sometimes there's this, this link, almost this close proximity between burden and blessing. If you're going to um, take your family for a day trip in the mountains, there's a burden in that, right? Because you've got to figure out what are we going to eat and how are we going to get there and you've got to deal with traffic and, and all of that kind of stuff and maybe mosquitoes and, and packing lunches and all that stuff. So there's a burden in that. But there's also this incredible blessing because you're walking around in God's beautiful creation. And you're looking at it and you're creating these great memories and there's tons of laughter and there's adventure. And so it's sort of this weighty thing. It's got burden, right? But it's used the right way. So what it produces in us, what it shapes in us is really a good stuff and a, and, a, and a good thing. And I think work is similar in some ways, right? Work is God-honoring. Work is good. And, and work actually shapes some good things in us character-wise and helps us better understand purpose and, and significance and being and, and satisfaction and all those things. Work can be a really good thing, and there's a burden to work. No matter if you love your job or don't love your job, there's a physical, there's a mental um, uh, part of work that's just a burden. But yet, if it's used correctly, if it's understood correctly, then even though it's a burden, it also shapes something in us. It does something good in us. And I should have got like the four-pound medicine ball, all right, just so you guys know. But here's what we do. Sometimes we take our work and we put it right here and we're like, here, this is who I am. This is who I am. I'm this. And we hold it up there. 
And, and if that's not getting us what we want, sometimes you're like, do you see, do you know how heavy this is that I'm carrying around all the time? Because we really want people to affirm who we are and what we're doing and, and all of that kind of stuff. And then if we're not careful, pretty soon we, we carry this to bed and we carry this in the shower and we go walk the dog. We're carrying this around and we show up at church. We're carrying this around. And, and wherever we go, we're driving. We're interacting with our neighbors. We're going out to eat. Everything we do, we're carrying this around. And it's freaking exhausting. And God comes and he says, there's a different way, there's a better way. Put it down. You're not designed to carry burden 365, 24-7. I've got a day where you can just put it down and remember me, remember who I am, remember that it's all about being with me. And my guess is that a lot of you are like, well, how, Rob? How do you do that? <laughs> how does that happen? How do you do that? But again, as we've seen in this series, it's not so much about how, but it's about, it's about why. And here's the thing. God doesn't tell us what to do. He just says what not to do. And I know this from personal experience. It's going to take practice because I know when I tried to implement this, I would have like a great one, two, maybe three minutes, and then I'm back here, Right? And so it took some time. It took practice and all those kind of things. So I don't want to tell you what to do because I think I'd be violating what God intended. But I'll give you maybe some ideas, some things to think about. Maybe I can be descriptive without being prescriptive. So, so realize that it's a day and a moment. I mean, it's definitely a day. It's absolutely a day. It's, it's where you're taking a period of a day and saying, I'm not working on that day. But also it's something that should infuse every part of our day. I mean, Jesus came to finish all the work so that we don't have to just do Sabbath on a one set period of time, but we can actually rest in the good work that Jesus has done at 12.02 on a Tuesday. And so how do we infuse moments throughout the day where we just say, okay, whoa, I'm taking a few moments here, grab my breath, and be with God. Start simple, right? I mean, go for like five minutes, give it a shot, Try it. Don't ignore it, but, but don't idolize it either. I think it's planned and unplanned. Do you know what the key is to waking up with no agenda? You got to plan that sucker. That's what you got to do, right? If you want to wake up and it's awesome, try it. Just say, you know what? I'm going to wake up next Saturday with no agenda. Then you kind of guard it. But in order for that to happen, you've got to plan it. So it's planned and unplanned. There's this idea, maybe it's alone, maybe it's among. Both might work. I mean, some time alone, right? But the, uh, the thing is, what helps me remember? God's faithfulness, God's goodness. What helps me be refreshed in that? What helps me avoid obligation? All the studies for this kind of stuff say that most people rest best away from people and outside. I don't know that's true for everyone, but that is true, I think, for a lot of people. Recreation and reflection. If you've got hobbies, man, maybe golf, maybe woodworking, maybe painting, maybe baking, maybe any and all of that can be just these beautiful rest elements. But if they create more of a work vibe in you, then they're not. Avoid them, right? If they're not helping you remember who God is and what he's done and how much he loves you, then they're not really 
the right thing. For me, I like to run, right? For me, running is resting. I'm outside, unless I'm training for something, I go out on a Saturday, a couple hours, just run. It's glorious. It's awesome. For some of you, if you ran, you would hate God, right? So don't do that. Do what works for you. Feed your senses. Aesthetics are important, right? Art, food, music, all of those kinds of things. Maybe it is, you know, eating good food, having good drink, those type of things. But, but what will fuel your senses and maybe activate parts of you that are not typically activated and you'd be reminded of God's goodness and faithfulness in that? And the other thing to be mindful of is Sabbath doesn't mean that you're ready to stop. It means you're ready to surrender. See, if we don't have that mindset, it's like, okay, once I get, here's the temptation, once I get all this stuff done, then I'll rest. No, because there'll always be one more email, one more spreadsheet, one more phone call, one more task, always. So you have to surrender to the idea that, that those things are not going to be priority for moments within my life. And we do it that way. Priscilla Schreier in her book, um, Breathe, says, God always and eternally intended the Sabbath to be a lifestyle an attitude, a perspective, an orientation that enables us to govern our lives and steer clear of bondage. What does Sabbath look like? Maybe it looks something like this. That bedtime ritual, right? I mean, that's me and my three girls like, gosh, that's 30-some years ago. But bedtime was just like, oh, right? But you know what we did? We bought this thing called a cassette tape. Some of you have to research that. And we had a cassette tape recorder. It was we sing Jesus Bible songs. Went a half hour, climb up in the top of our bed, bunk, of the, the top of the, the bunk bed, and we would just sing pretty much as loud as we could for a half hour all these songs about Jesus just up there, and it was glorious, and it was beautiful. And I didn't think about it at the time. I didn't know I was doing it, but I think that was Sabbath. I think it was Rest. It was a reminder of God's goodness and, and faithfulness and that even if I'm not experiencing it now, I will experience it someday. See, Sabbath is about freedom. It's, it's, if you want to know, what is Sabbath? Sabbath is putting yourself in a place where you will be absolutely flat out overwhelmed by Jesus. That's what Sabbath is. And nobody can do it for you. It's not an app. It's not a program. But if we make it part of our life, it's incredible. And here's the thing that's amazing. We take Sabbath with us where we go. Sabbath travels. What I mean by that is because of, of rest's impact on us, we become carriers of peace and freedom and hope and rest. Is that what our world needs or what? And what if the only thing that's keeping you from offering to that world is practicing rest? I want to invite the band out as we continue worshiping through song and, and reminding, uh, being reminded of how much God loves us. But endlessly carrying burdens, man, they'll do you in. I mean, you might still be alive, but you won't be living. Sabbath restores us. And until you experience it, until you put it to practice, I don't know that you're gonna believe that, and I get that because I didn't. But it's like my grandson, my little grandson, he's three years old, and, and I'm like, Dude, you got to try bacon. Bacon's awesome. And he's looking at that. He's like, there's no way I'm eating that. I don't want to, Pop. I, don't I said, dude, just try a little bite. He's like, no, there's no way that's going to be good. And he's a good eater. He likes a lot of things. And so I give him a little piece of bacon. He puts it in his mouth, and his eyes get gigantic, and he goes, 
he was speechless and he reached out and took the other piece of bacon. He didn't know until he tried it. Listen, you don't probably, you're not going to know, I can't convince you, you're not going to know how incredible it is to do Sabbath until you try it. And I would remind us in love of this, the writer of Proverbs said this, there's a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. And here's what I want you to do just to close out. If you, could, you, don't, you don't have to do this, but if you want, I, I appreciate you doing this. How's that? Just close your eyes. Let me read Jesus' words over you. As a prayer, as a blessing, maybe as, as, as something that we would embrace. Jesus said this. He said, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get, a, get away with me and recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. See, it's in Jesus that you find rest from criticism, rest from pretending to be okay when you're not. It's this beautiful, rest is this beautiful place where your brokenness and God's blessing come together. And it's a reminder that you're his and that you belong. Life lives and work works when our rest rests.